Hi, everyone. Um, on this special episode of Me, You, and Who, I have Hillary Redwine here with me. She is a mom via egg donation, and then she is a blog contributor for Egg Donor and Surrogate Solutions. So yay, Hillary. Thank you so much for being here with us. Okay, so tell um, all of our listeners a little bit about what they're going to hear today. Sure. So this is our webinar for new intended parents. It's the new intended parent webinar addressing complex emotions and planning for your future family. And so in this webinar, we really take a deeper dive into some of the questions that we get from intended parents that go beyond the logistics of the egg donation process, right? Mm -hmm. So we talk about questions like, how do I choose a donor? That may sound simple enough, but we're not talking about how do I navigate the um, donor database, we're talking about how do I find the right person to yeah. help me create my family? And for a lot of intended parents, I think intended mothers, especially, there's an emotional component uh, mm -hmm. to it. So it can feel like you're really having to look for your replacement and talk about trying to go beyond that and looking at it from the perspective of not like you're trying to find your replacement because you can't be replaced in this process. No. Right. Just because you need help to create your family in no way negates your role as a parent. You are 100% going to be your parent's child. Uh, you're one. <laughs> Was that going to be your child's parent? Yes, yes. <laughs> and needing the help of an egg donor in no way takes away from that. There's nothing wrong with needing help to create your family. And so we talk about how do we narrow down from the 300 plus donors who are in the database? How do we narrow down and like find that right person? And a lot of times it just really comes down to a connection and that's mm -hmm. subjective for everybody. So we just kind of talk through that and about how to approach, you know, finding, you know, determining what your top criteria are and then how you narrow down from there. If you're going through the process with a partner, you know, do you go through the webs, do you go through the database together? Do you do it separately and then come together, which are both good options. And so we just talk through that. And then yeah. we talk through some of the um, other questions that, and, and just feelings that I think come up sometimes, things that came up for me, things that I know have come up for other intended parents as they go through this process kind of early on. And, you know, questions like, am I going to feel like the real parent? Am I going to feel like the real mom? Is a lack of a genetic connection going to impede a bond in any way? Mm -hmm. um, if you're the non-genetic parent and your partner is going to have a genetic connection to your child, will I resent my partner? And if so, mm -hmm. what, you know, how, how do I work through that? And sure. I have one intended parent who asked that question. And she was struggling with that at the end of because uh, we have Q and A for uh, we have Q and A time at the end of the webinar too, and that yeah. was a question that came up. And I said, thought first thing I thought was she's incredibly brave for admitting that, right? Because that's not an easy thing to do. So just things like that. Sometimes all you know the things that maybe we're afraid to voice, we we talk through that, um, and then also just information that we think is important as you are planning for your future family. So knowing that you're going to be raising a donor conceived child and what does that look like? Because I think a lot of, you know, there's a lot more resources available now than there were when I went through this process Sure. in 2014. I matched with our donor <laughs> in 2014 and my daughter was born in 2015 and there are a lot more resources available now for families created through donor conception and the donor conceived community donor conceived adults have um 
have more of a collective presence that are really focused on educating, yeah. I think, intended parents and the industry as a whole as to what is in their best interests and best practices. So things like starting the conversation early with your child so that mm -hmm. you there's not this big moment where you reveal to them that they're donor conceived, right? And so how do you start that conversation early on with books mm -hmm. and how does it evolve over time? And so there's some really great resources out there available now. And so we just talked through some of what that research is and what the best practices and recommendations are for how to do that. And then we have some um, information uh, resources that we share out at the end. Oh, I love that. So this is a live thing that does happen um, and it happens monthly. Once a quarter, once a quarter. Once a quarter. Okay, so mm -hmm. it happens. So we have this live once a quarter, um, but you get to have it here as a resource that you can go back and listen to. Um, and so you did mention that in the live version, and whenever you are able to do it live, there's a Q&A. But for anyone who listens to it kind of on their own, um, they would just need to go um, to, they can send an email to info at createahappyfamily.com. And then Hillary has also generously offered to, if you have specific questions to her and you want to maybe have some one-on-one -on -one time with her, you can um, reach out to that same email address, info at createahappyfamily.com um, to reach out to her. So um, Hillary, I so appreciate you just all you do as, you know, a proponent for just what it means to be a um, intended parent in this way and just the donor conceived community as a whole. And then if you guys want to listen to more of Hillary's story, she is also in one of our earlier episodes as well. So um, yes, so please enjoy um, listening to uh, this special episode. Me, you, and who? Who knew it would take more than two people to have a baby? In a world where infertility is no longer a taboo topic, this podcast will take you through all the different aspects of surrogacy and egg donation through the lens of many who walk this journey in different ways. My name is Whitney Hall, and I am a two-time surrogate, now turned surrogacy coordinator for Egg Donor and Surrogate Solutions, the very agency I used when I chose to carry for two amazing families. With this podcast, it is our goal to help guide and support you as you learn about what it takes to grow a family in an alternative way, as well as hear inspiring and beautiful stories of how this path has changed lives forever. We can't wait for you to hear about just one more way happy families are created every day. Hello, and thank you for joining our webinar this evening. I'm Hillary Redwine with Egg Donor and Surrogate Solutions. Our agency matches intended parents with egg donors and surrogates to help them grow their families. And our hope, our goal with this webinar is to provide you as new intended parents with information that we hope will be helpful to you, no matter where you are in your journey. Whether you've been thinking about egg donation as a way to grow your family for some time, or if perhaps you just learned that egg donation may be your best option to have a child, either way, this webinar is for you. Tonight, I'll be going over some of the common questions and concerns we often hear from intended parents, and I'll also be sharing some important information that I hope you'll be find beneficial as you begin to plan and think about what's best for your future family. There are usually questions that come up during this webinar, and we do have time allotted for Q&A at the end, so please feel free to use the Q&A feature on your screen at any time during the presentation, and I'll address questions at the end of the webinar. Now, before I get into my personal experience, I want to just preface it by saying that it's just that. It's my experience. It's one 
person's journey. And I know that every intended parent arrives at this place where you're considering egg donation um, as a way to grow your family. Everyone comes at this place from a different set of circumstances, different background, and your experience may or may not be similar to mine, but my hope in doing this webinar is that regardless of what your experience is, how you arrived here, I hope that you can take something away from this webinar that's beneficial to you, whether that's information that you didn't know before, or maybe it's something that you learned that helps you move forward in the process. And I also think it's important to share that as an agency, Egg Donor Solutions has worked with over a thousand intended parents um, to match intended parents with egg donors. And we've worked with parents from all different types of backgrounds. So there's couples like my husband and I who needed an egg donor because of infertility. There's um, single parents, same-sex couples, couples who need both an egg donor and a surrogate, couples who have a genetic condition that they don't want to pass on to their child. There's a whole host of reasons that intended parents need the help of an egg donor. Um, and everyone comes at this with different experiences. So I just wanted to acknowledge that. But a little bit about my personal journey. Um, my husband and I needed the help of an egg donor because of infertility. That infertility was a result of me being diagnosed with ovarian cancer when I was 27. Um, I found out that I had ovarian cancer from my OBGYN um, when he got the results from the pathology report from a surgery that he had done on me for something completely unrelated. It was to treat endometriosis. And I think he was actually just as surprised as I was um, when those pathology re results came in. And I will say I was fortunate that I was diagnosed at an early stage. It was stage one when my cancer was caught. Most women who have been diagnosed with ovarian cancer cannot say that it's typically diagnosed at stage three or stage four because the um, symptoms are so vague. So I was lucky that I was diagnosed with um, at stage one. I was able to actually have fertility sparing surgery. My oncologist and I had the conversation, um, or I should say he had the conversation with my husband and I about if we wanted to have a family and we did. And so because of that, I didn't have to have a complete, and so because of that, and because I was stage one, I didn't have to have a complete hysterectomy. He removed the one ovary that was cancerous and left my other ovary in my uterus with the thought that I could go on to um, to get pregnant and have a child. But I also had to have chemotherapy. So I think the combination of the chemotherapy and the surgery is what ultimately led to infertility. And after I was two years out from finishing chemo, my husband and I decided that if my next scan was clear, we were going to go ahead and start trying to conceive. Our My oncologist had given us the green light and I was 30 at the time. So that scan came back clear um, we decided to move forward and I went back to my OBGYN to let him know we were ready to start trying and he had the foresight to run some fertility tests because I think um, I think he kind of suspected that there might be some issues just given my history and he said that if there were any issues he wanted us to know right away instead of finding out six months to a year down the line. Um, so he ordered some blood work, did an ultrasound and as I think he was probably expecting, there were a lot of red flags. I had a very low AMH, which is a blood test that measures your anti-malarian hormone. It's actually a test that's done on egg donors as well to determine their ovarian reserve. Mine was almost non-existent. My antrophollicle count on a sonogram 
also almost non-existent. So right away, he referred us to um, a reproductive endocrinologist. Um, over the course of probably three or four years, we saw a different specialist and we tried all the different treatments from um, IUI to IVF to natural cycle IVF. And it was after one failed um, IVF attempt where I didn't even make it to the egg retrieval um, because my body didn't respond to the um, medication that my doctor sat us down and said, I really think it's time for you to consider egg donation. I think it's going to be your, your best option to get pregnant and have a child. And I remember very clearly the conversation because we were in his office sitting at his conference table. And when he said egg donation, I felt like I, in theory, understood what he meant, but I didn't really, couldn't really figure out logistically how that would work. So I asked him to explain and he reached over and he pulled out this binder of donor profiles, pictures of different women. And he started flipping through it and said, well, you would go through profiles in a book like this, or you would go through an online database and you would choose a donor. And I can very easily put myself back in that office at that conference table and remember just how overwhelming and how surreal it felt, I felt like he was telling us that we had to pick another woman to conceive a child with my husband. Um, that might sound silly, but that is how it felt for me at the time. And needless to say, it was just extremely overwhelming. I broke down. I couldn't really have the conversation anymore. I said that, you know, I needed some time to think about it. My husband and I needed to talk about what we really wanted to do. And we, I just knew I needed to, to take some time to process. Um, and so we did that there for me, there was a feeling of genetic loss of, you know, not having a child in the way that I had envisioned that we would have. Um, and that was something that I had to grieve and I had to process, um, I, uh, for my husband, he was ready to move forward right away. Um, not because he wasn't sensitive to what I was going through, but I think more because he had seen the toll that infertility and all of the treatment and everything had taken on me. And he just, he knew how much I wanted to be a mom and he just wanted to do whatever um, needed to be done to get us to move forward in that process. Whereas for me, I needed to take a little bit more time. I needed to take a step back and grieve. And so that's what we did. That's what I did, of course, ultimately, um, I uh, decided that that was going to be our path to parenthood. For me, it really came down to how much did I want to be a mom and looking at it from the from what my doctor had told me of my chances of conceiving, of like continuing to do IVF uh, to conceive were less than 5% of having a child, whereas with egg donation, it was 75 plus percent. And at the end of the day, I knew I wanted to be a mom and I just felt like, I had been, we had been led here for a reason and this was our path to parenthood. So our next step was to choose an agency. And we looked at several different agencies. Egg Donor Solutions um, came highly recommended. There's several reasons why we chose EDS, but ultimately it came down to, for me at least, I felt like 
we were going to be guided and supported through the process. You know, my husband and I did not know anything about the ins and outs of egg donation. It is a complicated process when it's done right. Um, and so having an agency that would guide us through all of that and also just the team um, knowing that everybody had experience with egg donation. Most of them have been egg donors themselves. And I just really felt like there was a heart for the mission to help create families and we would be supported through the process. And obviously I'm very glad that we chose EDS because it led us to the family that we have today. This is my um, daughter, Corinne, my husband, Jared. And I like to include this quote um, that I, I wrote our story for the EDS blog uh, probably about three or four years ago. And this is a quote from our story and I included in this presentation because for me, it really sums up how I feel about our entire journey. Um, it says our path to parenthood may not have been the one we planned, but it was the right one because it gave us Corinne. She is the child that we were meant to have and I wouldn't want it any other way. And so when I look back, even going back, you know, to 15 years ago from when I was first diagnosed with ovarian cancer to the infertility to everything we went through. There were so many ups and downs for anyone that's been through infertility. I refer to it as a roller coaster and anyone who has gone through it knows what that feels like. I would not change a single thing about our journey because if I did, we wouldn't have our family. And I truly feel like we're, we have the family that we were meant to have. Um, but that doesn't mean that it was an easy journey by any means. There were definitely, as I mentioned, some things that I had to work through. And at the time, I felt like I was really alone. Um, when we talk about infertility specifically, um, really in, in just needing help to needing any kind of help to create your family. It can be very isolating. And when you talk about needing um, the addition of a donor, I think that maybe is even talked about even less. It wasn't until after I became a parent and I really started actively researching in this space and working more in the space that I truly realized how many intended parents have shared experiences, even though they're coming at it from a different, you know, different backgrounds. There are common experiences that intended parents share. And I realized um, how, you know, that I, I thought I was alone, but I actually wasn't. And I want, you know, intended parents today to know that too. So I'm going to go over some of these. These are, these may, may or may not resonate for you, but these are some things that, um, some of the things I experienced and things that um, I've heard from other intended parents as they're going through this process of considering egg donation. Will I be the real mom? That is something I definitely um, experienced. You know, I mentioned feeling like I had to find my replacement to find, to choose someone else to conceive a child with my husband. That really made me question my role as a mom. Um, thinking about genetic loss, I really, it, that made me think about, will I be able to bond with my child? Um, this wasn't an issue once I became um, pregnant, especially once I had my daughter, there has never been um, an issue with bonding. But early on, before I was a parent, that is um, something that came up for me and something I've heard a lot of other intended parents say. Um, maybe you're wondering if your family and friends will treat a non-genetic child the same as they would a genetic one. If you're, if you're evaluating whether or not you're going to be open with your family and friends about this process, perhaps part of that 
consideration is, would your family treat your child any differently? Will I resent my partner for having a, gen a genetic connection to our child? If you're going to be the non-genetic parent, maybe you're Maybe you're wondering, or maybe you are feeling some resentment because your spouse or your partner is going to have a genetic um, connection to the, your child and will share something, a uh, connection that you don't. This is a difficult one. This is, uh, I think, a hard one for intended parents to admit. Um, I got this question on one of the webinar, uh, on the same webinar um, when I did it a few months back. Um, one of the intended parents said that she was really struggling with feeling some resentment towards her husband. And she wanted to know if I had any, rec if I, if I went through that and had any recommendations um, for kind of how to deal with that. I one thought she was very brave for admitting it because it's not an easy thing to admit. I did um, early on feel a little bit of resentment towards my husband. I don't um, I don't today by any means, but early on when I was struggling with the genetic loss, that is something that I thought about and it was hard for me to admit it to him, but, but I did. And we talked about it and that was helpful. Um, but for anyone who's struggling with this, I know it's a hard one to admit, but you're not alone by any means. Um, will I have, will I love a donor conceived child as much as my biological one. So if you are an intended parent who already has a biological child and you're considering egg donation not to start your family, but to grow your family, maybe this is something that you're wondering. Um, I don't, I can't relate to this personally because I only have um, my, I only have my husband, I only have our daughter or one child, but this is definitely something that I have heard intended parents who already have children um, question. And I have also talked to those same intended parents after the fact, and they love, they love their donor conceived children just as much as they love their, as they love their biological children. Um, so it's really a question that I think happens early on. Will my child want to meet the donor one day? This again um, is a difficult question. And I think it's hard to picture when you're early on in the process because you don't have you don't have a child yet and you haven't established that bond um when when I thought about this or when I thought about this early on because my husband and I were very intentional that we were going to be open with our daughter and so we knew that that could be a possibility one day and it felt threatening at the time um and I think that's normal to feel that way but I will say, and I'll cover this a little bit more when we get to the results of um, the donor of the donor conceived surveys, is that, you know, donor conceived children, adults, they vary in whether or not they want to meet the donor. If they do, it's based on wanting access to their heritage, their medical information. It's based on curiosity and identity. It is in no way a desire to replace their parents, their parents are their parents. Um, and so not to negate anyone feeling this way because I, um, I certainly struggled with it, but just know that when you look at donor conceived people who, who do want to, to connect with their donor, it's not in any way about replacing their parents. Um, how do I support my partner now and in the future? Maybe if you're going to be the genetic parent, Maybe you're wondering how you support your partner through this process. And I, um, there are some good resources available. I'll be sharing those. Uh, one of those at the end, Resolve, uh, is a nonprofit organization. It's the National Infertility 
organization, and they have really good resources for for partners on how to support um, your partner or your spouse through this. They have support groups for couples. They also have support groups um, just for men, just for the partners that I think are really beneficial. Um, I don't want to spend too much more time uh, belaboring over this, but I do just want to point out if you are working through any of these feelings or struggling with any of these feelings, one, know that you're not alone. Um, if, if you're thinking it, I guarantee you other intended parents have as well. Um, and you don't have to deal with it alone. You know, if you have a partner, talk to your partner about these things, work, spend some time working through these things, connect with other intended parents. It's, it can be so isolating, but they're, when you're going at it alone, but when you connect with other intended parents who will understand what you're going through, there's such a relief that comes from that. And I think supporting, um, and supporting each other. And we have some resources for that too. We have a Facebook group for egg donor solutions, intended parents, where you can connect with other intended parents. As I mentioned, Resolve has support groups. So there are resources out there for you to connect with other intended parents, many more than there were when I went through this process eight or nine years ago. Um, and then also, if you think it would be beneficial for you to talk with a professional, we can absolutely connect you with a therapist who works in this space. We have a couple of different ones we work with. And so if that's something that you would like to pursue, please reach out to the team and we'd be glad to connect you with a resource for that as well. Uh, choosing the right donor for your family. Um, I know this can be when you start thinking about choosing a donor and you're looking at the egg donor database, there's 300, 350 plus donors. It can be overwhelming and hard to know where to start. So I wanna share a few tips. Uh, one, determine what's most important to you and your partner if you have one. Um, determine what your top you know, three, four criteria are and that will really help you evaluate um, the donor profiles and narrow it down. And when I say determine what's most important to you, really spend time thinking about focusing on what's important to you beyond physical characteristics. You know, what um, what does your ideal donor, you know, what, what are her aptitudes? What are her personality traits, characteristics? This is going to be subjective for everybody, but really spend some time thinking about what's most important to you beyond just physical um, characteristics and location. For my husband and I, it was um, the donor's personal and family health history. Because of my history of ovarian cancer, we wanted to make sure that the donor that we chose didn't have any family history of cancer. Um, education was important. We wanted um, a donor who was who had either completed college or was pursuing higher education, someone who was driven, who was motivated, who had goals in life. And then beyond that, we really just wanted to find a donor who we felt like um, was a good person who was doing this for the right reasons and is somebody who we could relate to. Um, again, this is, a, is subjective from every, for everybody. So you really just have to spend some time thinking about what's most important to you. And then from there, um, you can start looking at donor profiles and um, narrow them down. If you have a partner, you can do it a couple of ways. You can look at donor profiles together, or you can look at them separately and then compare your top few choices. 
that's what my husband and I did. We really spent some time putting pen to paper, thinking about what's most important to us. And then once we had that list, we separately went and we looked um, on our own at profiles. And then we came together um, and saw who we had in common, who we didn't and, and kind of uh, and went from there. So two couple of different ways to do that if you're doing this, going through this process with a partner. Um, don't try to look for your replacement. Um, first of all, you cannot be replaced in this process. Um, you will be your child's parent and needing the help of a donor to have your family in no way negate your role as a parent. You just simply cannot be replaced. But I know that it can feel like you have to look for your replacement. Um, when my husband and I first started looking at the profiles, I was just set on um, having a donor who looked as much like me as possible because I was coming up at it from a place of feeling like I had to pick my replacement. I felt like I needed a donor with red hair who had my same aptitudes and interests. Um, but then when I really stepped back and thought about it logically and the chances of my husband and I even having a redheaded child if we were to have a genetic child together would be slim because red hair is a recessive gene. Then I really kind of opened my eyes to how I was limiting the donors that we were considering. If I was only looking at donors with red hair, I mean, if I had only done, if I had only looked at donors with red hair, we would have, we were much more limited in choices and we wouldn't have picked our donor and we wouldn't have our daughter. So I will say, um, I think it's important to come from a place of you are looking for someone to help you create your family versus looking for a replacement, um, somebody to replace you in creating your family. Um, look for a donor with whom you feel a connection. Whenever I talk to intended parents about why they chose their specific donor, it always comes down to a connection they felt for whatever reason. Again, this is subjective and it's going to be different for everybody. Maybe it's similar education or career background, similar interests. Maybe you both play the same sport. You like the same music. You went to the same college. Again, um, different, different for everybody. Something, the way she answered a question in a profile that stood out to you. For my husband and I, I think the connection was just, she's, she seemed like a genuinely good-hearted person, like she was doing this for the right reasons. I remember um, when she answered the question about why she wanted to be a donor, one of her biggest motivations was she had, um, I think, had a family member, I think it was an aunt, who had gone through infertility, and she saw the toll that it took um, on her loved one, and so she wanted to help um, she wanted to help create a family for that reason. And then she just seemed like an interesting person, somebody who I could sit down and have a conversation with, somebody that I could be friends with. So it was really just about that connection. And I've had intended parents ask me, how do I know when I've, cho when I've chosen the right donor? And I can't, unfortunately, can't answer that for anybody. I will just say, you know when you know, and you will feel it because of a connection. Um, ask for help from the egg donor solutions team. That's what the match team is here for. Um, they've matched over a thousand intended parents with egg donors. This is this is what they do. If you're struggling with choosing a donor, please reach out to the match team for help. And then once you've chosen a donor, know that you have an option to do a virtual or in-person meeting with her. Um, again, important. This is just an option. It's absolutely not something that is required, but it is something that you have the option to do 
if it's important to you. And it won't be just you and the donor. It will be facilitated by either a counselor or a member of the egg donor solutions team. And a couple of, um, I think, important things to note here too. One, this is really something to do if you feel like it's important to you to, to move forward in the process. It's not going to be important for everybody. Um, for my husband and I, it was important for me to meet our donor. And so I did. I had a face-to-face -face with her. Um, it, for my husband, it wasn't important to him at the time. He has met her since. Um, but it, was, it wasn't something that he felt that was important to him at the very beginning. For me, it was personal. And I wanted to meet this woman who was helping us create our family. And I also wanted to be able to tell any future children that I had met her and knew um, a little bit about her. Um, this, isn't, this isn't a situation where you pick your top two or three donors and you decide you're gonna interview them and, and decide from there. Um, this is really where you've chosen a donor and you really want to connect with her for, um, for whatever for whatever reason personally for you um so just know that it's an option if it's something that you want to do we do ask that you let the match team know up front early on that you will want to have a face-to-face -face with your donor because it does take some time to coordinate on the back end and for most intended parents once they've chosen a donor they want to move forward as quickly as possible and we don't want to um, we don't want this to hold up the process. So know that you have the option, um, and but if it's not something that's important to you, that's 100% fine. The donor sibling registry. So if you're not familiar with the donor sibling registry, what it is is an online database that facilitates connections via a username between intended parents, donors, donor-conceived individuals, and genetic siblings. So the username is very important here because <clears throat> that means you're not sharing identifying information unless you choose to. So uh, early on, you as the parent can, uh, while your child's a minor, can connect with your donor through this platform if that's something, um, if you have a reason that you want to reach out to her or stay in touch with her. And I, I have communicated with our donor through the platform. I also connected with another family who used the same donor. So our children are genetic half-siblings. And we, we, we connected uh, thanks to the donor sibling registry. And with the username, you know, you can go through, you go through and choose the agency, the donor number, and then you can see any connections that are connected to that donor. And if you want to send a message to someone, you send them a message through the platform, they get an email notification and then they can respond through the platform and you'll get an email notification. You won't share any identifying information unless you choose to. And so we really like the donor sibling registry because it allows the flexibility to adapt and change over time. You know, if you as the parent want to reach out to your um, donor for medical information, uh, updated medical information while your child is young, you can do that through the platform. If your child has questions or when your child's of age, if they want to reach out to the donor, they have a way to do that. So this is a really, this is, um, a really good option and feature to have a way to have that communication and connection established. Anonymous versus unidentified donors. This is a change in language that has happened over the last few years, and it's because we can no longer guarantee anonymity because of genetic tests like 23andMe 
and ancestry, there is no way to guarantee that either um, there, there's just no way to get guarantee anonymity for anyone involved in the process. Um, so we use the term unidentified, meaning that we don't share we don't share names, we don't share contact information of uh, between donors and intended parents, unless that's something that you choose to do. We, there is an option for a known donor program where you can share identifying information from the beginning. But again, that's a, that's a personal, that's a personal choice. Um, a lot of donor conceived adults, a lot of donor conceived people have found out that they were donor conceived because of a, because of genetic testing. Their parents didn't tell them when they were growing up because years ago, that was the standard. It was anonymous donation. It was to not um, be open about using a donor that fortunately has shifted. Um, and I'll talk a little bit more about that, but just kind of imagine the trauma and the breach of trust um, that comes with that, that a lot of donor conceived adults have experienced when they find out um, that they were donor conceived through a genetic test. So we don't use anonymous anymore. If you have, if anyone has told you any other, uh, a, a physician, a another egg donor program, if you have ever heard that anonymous is still the standard, that it's the only way to go, that's simply not true anymore. Um, and the donor sibling registry is something that we now require for intended parents and donors to have in their legal agreement. So you will have a legal agreement, a direct legal agreement that's just between you and your donor. And we include the donor sibling registry in that. So you have this way to have um, communication. We want for a few reasons. We want you and your child to have that option because again, um, desires and needs change over time. We want you to be able to have access to updated medical information. Um, you will get your donor's full personal and family health history, but what a donor's family health history looks like when she's in her 20s to early 30s may look very different 10, 20 years down the line. And one of um, one of the main reasons donor-conceived people often seek to connect with their donors is so that they have access to that medical information. Um, it's about your child's curiosity about the donor and desire for contact. If that's something they want when they're older, they have um, you have a way to provide that for them. And then donor-conceived adults advocate for open ID um, and known donation, meaning that they have access to their donor's information uh, when they turn 18. The We Are Donor Conceived Survey. This was really the first survey that was done of donor-conceived people. It was done in 2020, a survey of nearly 500 donor-conceived people um, to provide greater understanding about the feelings, perspectives, and experiences of donor-conceived people. And some of the highlights from that survey, 86% of donor-conceived people who took the survey agreed with the statement, the donor's identity is information that belongs to me. That goes back to the open donation, to the open ID at 18. They really feel like they should have access to their donor's identity. 96% um, agree with this statement. It's important for me to have a complete family health history for myself. This is a huge reason why donors want believe that um, they should have access to their donor's identity is because without it, they don't have a way to get that that family health history. They're essentially missing um, one side of their family health history. 
and 76% um, disagree with the statement, I support the use of anonymous, I support the use of anonymous eggs and sperm to conceive a child. So as I mentioned, it's it, anonymous has gone um, by the wayside. It's not the standard anymore. This is something donor conceived people overwhelmingly um, do not support anonymous donation because without it, they don't have access to their donor's identity. They don't have access to um, the medical information that's important to them. The U.S. Donor Conceived Council. This is a nonprofit organization that was established in 2021, I believe, and it's an all-volunteer-led organization with a mission to increase the awareness of the needs, interests, and challenges of donor-conceived people and advance change that promotes and protects their health, welfare, and human rights. Um, the Donor-Conceived Council is a great organization um, for anyone involved in um, the donor process, intended parents, donors, donor-conceived individuals, this is really a group that's focused on advocacy and they've um, already made some groundbreaking changes in the short time they've been established. They got a law passed in Colorado last year. I think it's called the um, Donor Conceived Person and Families Protection Act. It essentially does away with anonymous donation in the state of Colorado for donor conceived children who are born out after 2025. It also limits the number of families who can use donor gametes from the same donor. This is groundbreaking legislation. It's the first of its kind in the U.S. So this group is really focused on advocating for the rights of donor-conceived people. They did a survey in 2020, an advocacy survey that was focused on, um, and it wasn't just donor-conceived people, it was primarily donor-conceived people, but it also included um, intended parents and donors, both um, egg and sperm donors, and they identified some priority issues. One being that donor um, donor identity release, ideally before the age of 18, but definitely by the age of 18, this is the open ID that we talked about, limiting the number of family units, um, no more than 10 families having, um, being able to use gametes from the same donor. This is really something that affects sperm donation more than it does egg donation. For egg donation, the standard um, for that that's set by the um, Society of Reproductive Medicine, American Society of Reproductive Medicine for egg donation is six. So a, a donor cannot donate more than six times. And that's something that we adhere to at EDS, and when you go with an agency like EDS that um, prioritizes, uh, that has a fresh donation program, no more than six families are going to be using eggs from the same donor. That's not something that can be guaranteed if you go with a frozen egg bank or um, an agency or an in-house donor program that that splits um, that splits eggs from a, a single donor's. Um, from a, from a single donor retrieval, but with EDS, that is um, that is something that's guaranteed. There's not going to be more than six families using um, gametes from the same egg donor. A national registry for donor conceived people to connect with siblings. There is the donor sibling registry, but that's not something that is required. This is more advocating for a national registry that requires um, and tracks the number of donor conceived um, children who are created. Psychoeducational counseling for donors and intended parents on the best interests of donor conceived people. So education 
um, about what's in the best interest of donor conceived people. They're really, they're also, they're focused on advocacy and education and then genetic and psychological screening for all donors. Um, being open with your child. So when we talk about open ID at 18 and, you know, be, being, you know, anonymous donation kind of going by the wayside with more um, focus now on the importance of being um, open with your child and early disclosure. In my experience, this is something that most intended parents intend to do. They intend to talk to their child about um, donor conception, but they don't always know how to best go about it. So we want to provide some guidance around that. Um, one psychologist and donor conceived advocate, uh, donor conceived people advocate for early disclosure. But what does that really look like, and and how do you and how do you go about that? I interviewed a psychologist, uh, Wendy Bauer. Uh, for an article for for the Egg Donor Solutions blog, and she provides a great perspective and tips for how to start that conversation early with your child. And one of the things that she suggests that I wish I had known at the time is to write a letter to your future child once you're expecting either you're expecting yourself as the intended mother or you're expecting through a surrogate. And if there's if you have a partner, you both write a letter to your child and you can talk about your hopes and dreams for that child. You can talk about why you chose your donor, a little bit about what you know about her. And then once your child is older, you can give them the letter and they can read that. And that just because that just becomes another piece to the puzzle for them. Because the idea with early disclosure is that your child doesn't ever remember a time where you sat them down and said, we have something important to tell you. The, the story of how the unique story of how they came to be is just woven. Um, the narrative is just woven over time and it's just part of who they are and part of their story. A great resource for this is children's books. There weren't many available when um, when I first became a parent, there were a few, but there are many more now that are focused on um, egg donation and how you really begin those basic, how you really begin the conversation um, with their child when they're very young. That's how we started with our daughter when she was about a year and a half. And the conversation has just um, evolved over time. We've been open with her. And I think in doing so, or at least my hope is that we've created a space where she feels safe and comfortable coming to us with any questions and knowing that we're going to answer them for her and be um, as honest as we can. And if we don't have the information, we can, because we have, um, we are connected to our donor, which started through the donor sibling register, we do have a way to reach out to her and get um, information if our daughter asks, asks for information in the future. Um, and I do want to in include this quote from Wendy because I think it's a great one. It's telling is an ongoing process. It's not a one-time conversation. It involves the child's self-esteem and their self-confidence. You are helping to build their identity and their relationship with you. Um, again, not a, not a one-time conversation. Um, it's certainly not, so from my personal perspective, it's certainly not something that we talk about daily or weekly at our house, but I my husband and I both look for opportunities to make the connection for our daughter. You know, as she's gotten older, that's what that's looked like is um, 
you know, the, the, the physical connection thing, you know, she gets her blue eyes and her blonde hair from the donor so that she understands that. Um, our donor was an art major in college. She's a fantastic artist. Our daughter has an aptitude for art. And so we share that that's something that she likely um, got for got from the donor. So we just look for opportunities like that to kind of plant those seeds and, and continue, continue the conversation. Resources for intended parents. Um, one, first and foremost, the EDS team. That's what we're here for. Um, please reach out if you need help. Our goal is to guide and support you however we can. So please reach out and let us know how we can best support you. The Facebook group for intended parents. So I mentioned there's a Facebook group specifically for intended parents um, through Egg Donor Solutions. I'm, I'm in the group. I think there's 150 plus or so in the group and it's intended parents who are at all phases. You have intended, you have intended parents who have just signed up and have just started looking for a donor, have just matched with a donor or expecting all the way through um, parents with infants and older children uh, like myself. So it's a great way to um, connect with other intended parents and find support. Um, the intended parents blog, there are a lot of great resources educational resources and personal experiences on the blog. So the article with Wendy Bauer um, about how to talk to your child about egg donation. Um, there's a blog article on uh, children's book recommendations. So that's a great resource um, for intended parents. Counselor recommendations. I mentioned if you at any point feel like it would be helpful for you to connect with a counselor, know that we have um, know that we have those resources. Uh, counselors like Wendy Bauer, who specifically work with families created through um, donation. They work with intended parents, donor-conceived um, donor conceived people, and, and donors. So they specialize in this area. And if you feel like it would be helpful to talk to um, someone like that, we'd be glad to connect you. And then the partner resources, I really encourage you to check out resolve.org. It's the National Infertility Association, and they have um, support groups um, in person and virtual. And that's uh, support groups for couples and for individuals. Okay, next steps. Our team is here to guide and support you as you consider egg donation for your family and select a donor and ultimately through the entire process. So perhaps um, you're still processing and you're still thinking about um, how you wanna move forward and that is totally fine. Or perhaps you're, you're ready to um, move forward and choose a donor. And in that case, I encourage you to log back in and view the donor profiles. If you have any questions about a donor or are ready to, to secure her, reach out via email. Okay, and now I will take, um, now I will take questions. When I look in the database, I don't see anyone who looks just like me. What's your advice? Again, this is where um, for this one, I would say really take a step back and try to come, try to approach this from the first, not from the perspective that you're looking for your replacement. So not that you have to find someone who looks exactly like you, but look at it from some, from the perspective of you are choosing someone to help you create your family and think about what's most important to you beyond the physical characteristics. Um, how can I be sure that donors are being honest in their profiles? That's a really good question. Um, 
one, I think it's important to know that the um, vetting process, evaluation process for donors is extremely thorough. Um, we look at three generations of family health history. There's a huge questionnaire they fill out. They are interviewed by um, the EDS team and only about 7% of donors who apply are actually chosen um, and added to the donor database. So it's um, it's a very thorough, thorough process. There of course is a, you know, a certain level of trust um, that's required, but donors are doing this not, not simply for financial compensation. They really have a heart and a mission to help create a family. And that can be for a variety of reasons. For a lot of them, it's because they saw a loved one struggle. That was the um, that was the case with our donors. So know that they're coming at this um, with a genuine heart and from the and, and for the right reasons. Should I go with a first-time donor or a proven donor? Should I take this into consideration? Um, that's again another really good question. There are a lot of great first-time donors in the um, donor database, and you have to think that every proven donor was a first-time donor at one point. So um, if the proven donor is important to you, certainly consider that as a factor. Um, but I would also say if you find um, a donor that you really like, that you really connect with, that you think is a great fit, um, but she's a first-time donor, don't rule her out simply based on that because there will be tests that are that are done to evaluate her as a donor before before you move forward. So um, I would say certainly don't rule someone out um, because of that. If that's the only if that's the only thing that's um, kind of making you question moving forward with a specific donor. Do you verify information that donors provide? Um, Yes, the information that donors provide um, on their forms, they do do an interview where all of where all of that information um, is addressed and gone over. So donors aren't simply filling out a form and then moving forward. They're interviewed by a member of the staff where you, where all where all of this information is um, discussed and vetted. And I think that is all of the questions. So I just wanna say thank you to everyone who joined tonight. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time. I hope that this was um, a helpful webinar for you. And I wish you the best of luck in moving forward with whatever decision you make. Um, and if I can be of help or the EDS team can be of help, please reach out, we're here for you. Thanks so much and have a great night. You have just finished listening to an episode of Me, You, and Who. To find out more about Egg Donor and Surrogate Solutions, go to www.createahappyfamily.com.